How can you get a home when the bank says no? This podcast is dedicated to the 1 in 10 homeowners denied each year by the banks. Welcome to the pre-approved podcast. Welcome to the pre-approved podcast. Got a special guest with me, Caitlin, today. So she's a senior home loan advisor. Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Let's dive right into it. You kind of had a unique way that I don't think a lot of people know about, which is kind of an unconventional way of coming up with a down payment for a, for maybe a, a traditional loan that people might not know about. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, what I found is a lot of people, they have a 401k, they have a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, but they never thought of taking money out of there for a down payment on a home, probably because they think there is going to be a penalty. Well, if you take out the money up to $10,000 for a down payment, as a first time home buyer, there is no penalty. For example, if you have a Roth IRA and you take out up to 10,000 for a down payment on a home, there will be no penalty. Usually there's a 10% penalty. And you're not going to be taxed because for a Roth IRA, you all you always put it in there after tax, right? Put and, the money in after tax. And and, mm-hmm. and can you explain a little bit between traditional and Roth IRA and how that's different, you know, individual retirement account and how that's different from maybe say a 401k? Because in 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 our or in my experience, most people are familiar with a 401k, maybe not as familiar with an IRA. But what you're saying is those two are a little bit different on how you would borrow that money but maybe you could just give an overarching, okay, what is traditional versus Roth IRA and how that compares or contrasts with a 401k? Sure, absolutely. Usually a 401k is given to you by a corporation, by a company that you work for. If they offer a 401k, then you would automatically have a 401k. Of course, there are other 401ks out there. And um, of course, and that's a little different. But from what I know is if you work for a company and they offer a 401k, sometimes they do matching. Like if you put 2% of your paycheck, they'll match it with 2%. Now that is a 401k and the 401k stays with you stays with that company for as long as you work for that company you can't take it out you can't take it out and put it into another brokerage account like fidelity or charles schwab but if you no longer work for that company then you can roll it over now in terms of a traditional or roth ira that is something that you open on your own and I was self-employed for a while, so that's why I opened up a traditional and a uh, Roth IRA. And that is opened up with a brokerage firm. You can just go to any brokerage firm and open one. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast. And so I just wanted to make that quick distinction because a lot of them will be either, you know, maybe in a solo 401k if they have their own business or more of the traditional or Roth IRA. And so what you were, you know, describing is basically how you can borrow money from that to make the down payment, you know, up to the $10,000 and whether it's, you know, taxed a little bit or not, but what happens? So you borrow the money and and that's it and you can use it. Do you have to pay it back? Well, you have, no, you don't have to pay it back. You, you have to prove that you put it as a down payment for as a first time home buyer. Okay. You have to be a first time home buyer. And however, you can be a first time home buyer twice, because as long as you haven't owned a home for three years or more, you're considered a home first time home buyer again. It's funny when I bought my very, when I was actually a first time home buyer, I went the conventional route. 
And I didn't even know about taking money out of my uh, retirement accounts to put a down payment. Otherwise, I would have. But then I sold my homes and then I didn't own a home for seven years. And when I bought another home, that's when I realized, hey, I'm a first time home buyer again. And that's when I took out $10,000 from my my uh, IRA account, my Roth IRA. And, and so, Caitlin, can you share a little bit about um, where you're from, kind of your background as a, as a broker and, and kind of what, what your day-to-day looks like? Yes. Well, I've been in the financial services business for over 15 years. In 1999, I started out as a mortgage broker. That's when I started doing loans. Prior to that, I was in all kinds of industries, the internet business. I was in manufacturing. But in 1999, that's when I got into the mortgage business. I was a mortgage broker up until 2008. Some of you may remember, some of you may be too young to remember about the recession, the real estate bust. That's when I needed a steady paycheck and I went into banking. And in banking, I was a banker, I was assistant manager, then I got promoted to bank manager. I was a bank manager for five years. And then I went into the treasury department. And because of COVID, during COVID, I got late. I had a job where I had to travel all over the country, but of course that didn't happen for a long time. And that's when I got laid off. And I thought to myself, hmm, what a great time to go back into mortgages. And yes, home sales were booming and that's how I got back. And here I am now. Wonderful. And my passion is to help first time home buyers get into the home of their dreams. And so as people are listening to this, and as we've interviewed um, people from all across the country, there's usually a little bit of different dynamics. So here in North Dakota, yes, it's still a hot market, but you know, the, the general um, appreciation play just from a terminology is ours is about as flat as the land is, you know, we're going to grow at 2% or 3% every single year for probably the next hundred years. Whereas in California, you know, there's a different dynamics where it maybe goes up and down a little bit. So for the people that you're helping or that your company helps, what does, what does that look like as far as maybe some of the challenges that people come up with? Is it credit score? Is it down payment? Um, How how are you either attracting customers or helping them out? and, And what sort of challenges do you see? Right now, in this market, the challenge is every home that's up for sale is really a seller's market. I think that's true for the entire country, but especially here in Southern California, one home can have 30 offers. And of course, the seller is going to, going to pick and choose how best to sell their home. And they, if there's a cash offer, they'll probably take that first. And then maybe conventional FHA, because FHA guidelines can be a little more stringent. Why is that? Well, they look at, because it's backed by the government, you know, Federal Housing Administration. So sometimes they, it's a little bit more stringent on the back end. And as a seller, if you want to sell your home right away, well, they probably will take the cash offer first. And a lot of sellers now, they want you to waive the contingency of getting an appraisal. And I don't know if it's because they know that the price they're asking for, it's not even going to appraise at that price. And therefore, a lot of people are actually, if you have the money, they're literally putting uh, over offering. If they're offering for 300000 maybe, you know, the buyer will offer three twenty just to 
make sure the seller is going to accept their offer. Mm -hmm. And so really, you know, you have maybe this list of people that you've given a pre-approval letter for, and they're kind of saying, well, this is good. And and the likelihood of you closing is, is probably a high probability um, of going through with it, but just that the sellers get to choose that, Hey, if I can close in, you know, two weeks with cash, you know, versus maybe doing 30 days or having any sort of contingencies, that's what they're more attracted to right now. Exactly. And I think you hit it on the nail, Adam, because I literally had a buyer make up to this point. She just gave up two weeks ago. She made 35 offers and none of them were accepted. The only one that got accepted by the time she paid for a home inspection, there was mold in the house and it was vacant. And the owner was out of state. And that's why it kind of, that fell through. She really liked the house. Unfortunately, she's not going to go fix a moldy house. And therefore she's going to rent for a while. Sure. And there are a lot of those buyers. Understood. And and so there's some different dynamics going on in in California with either just people, um, you know, selling or moving or, or doing some other things. So, but most of your candidates, are they doing FHA or conventional or what, what are kind of the terms that, that they're trying to do for a percent down that you're seeing like 5%, if they can do three and a half percent, they're doing it. Or are people doing 20% down 30% down if they can? Well, of course, if you can put at least 20% down, it is conventional and you avoid the PMI, the private mortgage insurance. And, but of course, with an FHA loan, there's always a private mortgage insurance. And, but the only thing is, all you need is three and a half percent down for an FHA loan. Sure. But the, once you put it, the three and a half percent down, the loan will be a little bit higher because there's an upfront private mortgage insurance. Mm -hmm. And that is of 1.75%. And that is tacked on to the loan. How many people approach you that don't qualify for any of the traditional methods, either because they have a low credit or they don't, or maybe self-employed or a little bit different? Are you like approving 99 out of a hundred or what's, what's kind of the, the amount of people coming in versus what you can give them from, from an approval standpoint? Absolutely not 99%. (laughs) I (laughs) wish it was, but there, of course, there are a lot of people that are self-employed, their income, of course, is not document. You know, they take a lot of deductions and low FICO is a factor. And closing costs are not cheap, to be honest with you. To buy a simple $300,000 house, if you think about it, three and a half percent down, that's over 10,000. That's like 10,000 plus, right? Mm-hmm. Plus closing costs. Yeah, I mean, you need to prepare about six thousand five six thousand dollars in closing costs because most lenders will with an fha loan you're expected to impound your taxes taxes and insurance and when you're impounding your taxes and insurance they take extra upfront, like three months of taxes three months of insurance and that's considered part of your closing costs And of course, you're not going to, once you buy the house, it's empty, right? What do you need? You need a bed, you need a sofa, you may not need a TV, but- You're gonna buy one. Yes, I always have to remind my buyers, my buyers literally want to take every single dollar that they have in their savings account and put it towards the down payment 
and the closing costs. I said, no, let me ask you this. So do you have any furniture to move over? And they look at me like with deer in the headlight look. I'm like, no, I need furniture. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so out of, out of those, what are you, you kind of alluded to them, but what are the most common reasons that you can't approve someone? Low FICO. Is and what, and what does that things. look like? I think sometimes anything over uh, uh, under 580 is really uh, is considered low. Okay. Maybe they have a lot of collections. Now, if these collections are mistakes, you can also, they can go to a credit repair company and maybe get it removed. However, if they do owe that money, then they would have to pay it back first. Mm -hmm. And the problem with when it goes to collections, people think, well, it's going to drop off after seven years. But the problem is these collection agencies, they keep selling it, right? One collection agency sells it to another. Once it's sold again, well, it goes back onto your credit report. So it may not just last seven years. It may be a lot longer. Understood. Okay. So credit score, I've heard that one for sure. What, what else? Sometimes student loans. If you have student loans, okay, even with a good FICO, the problem is it'll cut into your debt to income ratio. Because if you think about it, right, you can easily nowadays have $100,000 in student loans. Well, even if it's deferred, they calculate 1% of that amount, and that's considered your payment, even though you're not paying it back. So 1% can, of the total amount? Of the total amount, right. So if you had $100,000, that's... Mm -hmm. that's you know, you know, just the, the simple math on that is a thousand dollars. And that's, so that's your monthly debt is how that's you would your look monthly at it. Debt, right. That's like having a thousand dollars in credit card debts that you have to pay every month. And, and even though right. that their and, monthly payment may be half of that or something. Right. Or maybe they're just deferring it. Oh, sure. Right. Okay. A lot of people have their loans deferred, but then when they, want to buy a house, they don't realize they still calculate 1% of that balance into their debt. And you mentioned something about the debt to income ratio. So when, when you're saying it factors into that, what, what kind of debt to income ratio are you trying to make sure that your, your buyers are fitting into? On the back end, it has to be below 50% usually. For all of your debt. Everything, which means your mortgage, taxes, insurance, HOA, if you have one here in Southern California, there's a lot of HOAs and any credit card debts, car loans, whatever's on your credit report. Understood. And, and so of the course, the home, uh, the, the student loan, <laughs> that's, you're not even paying back. Understood. So, and these would be what I would call loans that are getting sold on the secondary market. Is that the right terminology to say? Yes. That that, that yes. these are being these are kind of like the the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, where they set the guidelines. Mae, here's here here's the box. Um, and and as a broker, you're you're probably shopping around different institutions. If if my if my memory is correct, on just like okay, can it can it be a Bank of America versus a Wells Fargo versus you know whoever else. And you can kind of, you know, pick, pick the right option for them, depending on different people's rates um, at the time. Is that, is that fair on what you're doing on, on the brokerage side or are you specifically focusing on one lender? 
No, we definitely don't focus on one lender. That uh, Those are retail lenders. As a brokerage, we go to all these, we, we have over 50 wholesale lenders and we'll shop the individual's loan based on their situation, based on who will give them the lowest rate and the best terms. So this is something that's a little bit fuzzy to me is there's the standard secondary market, but then there's what I've called like portfolio loans, which are like maybe local credit unions or in-house loans that banks technically put on their books. Is that, is that the same as one of your 50 wholesale loans or is that a completely separate category? Usually the lenders that we deal with, they are not regular banks. For example, your Chase or your Bank of America. And these, these are wholesale lenders that you don't see generally when you're driving down the street. And we definitely don't have any credit unions. Credit unions, if you're going to have to go to them directly, they're considered a retail lender. Okay. So if you go to them directly, they'll give you their rates. However, if you come to the brokerage firm, we'll give you the rate that's best for you based on whichever lender will give you the best rate. For sure. So that's where you're saying, hey, hey, you, you may have a bank account with one bank. You could talk to them and you might hear one story. Whereas if you talked with you, Caitlin, you can say, okay, here's 50 different options. Here's the best one for you. Exactly. I have to be honest. Most of the time we can beat retail lenders rates. <laughs> I would imagine so just, just by pure volume. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So we talked about, you know, credit score. Then we talked about student loans and kind of how that plays into debt to income ratio. What else, what else holds individuals back? I think you mentioned well, a little bit about um, maybe self-employment or entrepreneur. What, what are you looking at there from a, if somebody doesn't have maybe a standard W2, how do you, how would you qualify an entrepreneur? What, what do they need to show? There are what we call non-qualified mortgage lenders. Now, these lenders, they would have to hold their own loans for the next 30 years. They're not allowed to sell it on the secondary market because it's considered, you know, non-conventional. And what we can do for self-employed borrowers, for example, if someone's a hairdresser, right, a lot of it is cash. And what they do is they look at their monthly deposits and they calculate based on their monthly deposits. And they have this, their own calculation. I'm not sure how they calculate it, but they have their own calculation and they come up with a monthly income at, and that's like your paycheck, right? That's a, like a W-2 paycheck. Understood. So yeah, it's almost, I think I've heard it referred to as like a bank statement loan where you send them maybe 12 months of bank statements and they say, okay, here's about how many deposits are going in. So we can generally say that that's income, but then they got to take off some expenses, do some unique things with it and say, okay, this is your true take home pay after all of that. Because as an entrepreneur, even though you might bring in $10,000, that's not your profit because there's still expenses and other things going on. Whereas a W-2 you can show, okay, yeah, here's the taxes that I'm paying, but this is kind of your, your gross income. Exactly. Okay. And when you're a service-based business, actually bank statement loans are really good. Service-based business means you don't have that much inventory, right? You don't own a brick and mortar restaurant where you have to buy the food and inventory and everything, but service-based business can be maybe a hairdresser, 
real estate agent, CPA, and, occupations and, like that. And Caitlin, you pride yourself on making sure that individuals that find you are are being taken care of extremely well. Can you can you share a little bit about that on just your nature of how that came about or why you feel that that's important? Because I want to be treated like that when I go somewhere else as a customer. And I understand when you're buying a home or getting financing, it could be nerve wracking, right? You don't know what's going on. You may have a question on, on a Saturday at 7 p.m. Well, guess what? If you call me, I will answer my phone on a Saturday at 7 p.m. just to answer your question. And I feel the speed with answering a customer's questions is really important because that puts them at ease. Excellent. That is some phenomenal customer service. That is fantastic. So, so let's say someone wanted to get in touch with you. What, what is your general um, area, service area and how can people get a hold of you? My general service area is all of California. I am licensed in California. I am soon to be licensed in Arizona and Colorado, but not yet. So anywhere in California. Okay. Uh, unlike a realtor, you have to be local, but I, I'm in Southern California, but I can do all of California. And Excellent. you can get a hold of me uh, on my website at CaitlinChen.com. Or I will just give you my cell phone in case you have any questions, 213-248-1230. There you go. That's true dedication, giving out not only the email, but your phone number on it. So if you, if, if you need anything and are trying to get pre-approved, want to use some of these creative things that Caitlin has, has mentioned here, would strongly recommend um, that you reach out. And Caitlin, just on a, on a personal level, you know, as we're kind of getting to know each other, it seems like um, you're really you know, stepping into this, into this area where like, there is just such a need here from a, from just an understanding or, or client experience, because I can tell you that exact same thing. So we used a mortgage broker here locally where, yeah, they could shop, do different things. And it turned out to be a great experience, but I have noticed that a normal bank might return phone calls or emails between eight and five, but mortgage brokers are typically different where they just kind of hold themselves to a different standard. Is, is that just, um, personal, or is that just something maybe in the mortgage brokerage industry, or is it kind of a case by case basis? Because I think that's phenomenal. It might be a case by case basis. I mean, I've known mortgage brokers where they don't like to answer phones on a Saturday or a Sunday, but it really is based on someone's preference. I think if you work for a bank, you you just have that automatic sense where oh, it's Monday through Friday. And maybe that's why they don't like to work on Saturday or Sundays. I hear you. Okay. So anything else that you feel like our listeners would be um, helpful to know, you, you can find or click on the, the links below to, to go directly um, to connect with Caitlin, or you're kind of hearing, hearing the number if you wanted to, to stop the recording and, and give her a call. But anything else, Caitlin, that you think would be helpful that we haven't asked you already? No, I think you've asked me just about everything. And my, I just want to encourage everyone, there may be a lot of offers right now, but if you're looking for the home of your dreams and you're, if you're a first-time home buyer, don't give up. Keep going. Fantastic. Well, with that uh, inspiration, Caitlin, thank you for coming on the podcast today. All right. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. You can always learn more by reaching out to us at homeequitypartner.com. Have a good day.